So I remember that first day of college, it was move-in day, and for some of you, you're about to experience this in just a few weeks, but I was a young and probably a pretty naive kid. I'd never really spent much time away from home, or at least any good length of time. But I'll never forget that day, my parents and my sister leaving the room, and they're on the other side of the door, and I can remember the look on their face. And I can remember that there's probably this look on my face as well, and the door just slowly shutting between us. And I remember it was just silent. My roommate wasn't there yet, and, uh, you know, I thought, well, I guess this is it. I'm a man now, right? (laughs) And then that's also when the sense of dread kicked in. I just moved three and a half hours away from home to a town that I had never been in, to a new season of life that I had never experienced. And I knew at best a handful of people at all here. And as any good college kid did, I went, well, I guess it's time for me now to venture out and see what this new world and new town behold. And what I found in the weeks to come were honest and good folks who helped me along the way. They helped show me where classes were, what the things to do were, uh, where to avoid, (laughs) and things like that. But what it is is that they took me, a foreigner in a foreign land, and they took me and they brought me into the fold and they made me as one of their own. See, friends, today what we're going to talk about is that important work that God has given us as those in the family of God to help take those that are outside of this family and help draw them in and bring them in and welcome them as one of our own. So good morning. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Getwell Church. Man, it's a good morning, isn't it? God is so good. And if you're our guest today, I'm so glad you're here. It is like this every week in case you're wondering, so you're welcome to come back. God is so good, friends. God is so good. And the fact that we get to come and worship together uh, this morning is such a privilege. Uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to be up here today. And I hope that you'll find this place as a place where you can pursue Jesus. Now, we're in our last message of our summer uh, sermon series where we've been going through a series that we've called Justified People. We've been looking at Old Testament folks uh, that God has taken and he's taken their lives when they were just people and he has done extraordinary things things through their acts of faith in him. And so what we've looked at is that our lives aren't meant to be left to just fate and whatever this life has to throw at us, but instead God has a plan and a purpose and a desire to bring us more. By his grace and his mercy, he wants to not just justify us, but redeem us and give us a new life. And so this morning is no exception. Uh, But before we do, I want to invite you, if you haven't been here this summer, um, would love for you to go back and listen to uh, this message or any previous messages uh, in this series or any others. Uh, You can go to youtube.com slash getwellchurchsouthhaven. You can find the messages there, but we'd love for you to uh, be encouraged by that uh, as well. So this morning we're going to be diving into the story of Rahab. And so if you got a Bible or a device you read from, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. And you go ahead and turn there uh, with me, Joshua chapter 2. Now, at this point in redemptive history, uh, Joshua has taken over as the leader of Israel. Moses, uh, a big figure in uh, the Old Testament, has passed away. And so the people at this point in Joshua chapter 2, they're poised to take the promised land, uh, just as God had said for them. And so they stand on the cusp uh, of this land. And Joshua in his wisdom says, before we just go in, 
Let's send two spies into the land uh, so they can scout it out, especially this first city that we're going to be up, which is Jericho. And so they entered the land, and I love exciting stories in the Bible, and this one is no exception for that. Uh, But the spies, they find themselves in this fortified city of Jericho. They're scouting it out, and they eventually find themselves in the home of a woman named Rahab. Now, Rahab wasn't quite the type of woman that any man or woman of Israel, of God's people, were supposed to uh, associate themselves with with, uh, but this is who God has ordained for them to encounter during their mission. Now, the king of Jericho, he's heard that these spies are in his city, and so he sends his men out to try to find them. He hears that they're at uh, Rahab's house. Uh, She, in her wisdom, takes these two spies, these two men, up to the roof and hides them under some flax. And so when the king's men get there, they're not found. And so also, she's very kind to them. She sends these uh, king's men away on a wild goose chase, saying that they've already left. And so let's pick up in the story, Joshua chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 8, and we're going to read to verse 14. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the kings, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land." So the story goes on to talk about how Rahab makes this pact, this oath with these two spies. And that the two spies say as well, we make this oath before God that you will be spared if you do as you have said. So before Rahab sends the spies away and she ties the the scarlet thread in her window, Rahab tells them something amazing, something awesome, something powerful, something frightful as some would say. Rahab tells her that her and the people that they've heard about what the Lord has done. Look at verse 10 again. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. What you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Now, I think it's undoubtedly that that Rahab knew what man could accomplish. She had seen this city become fortified as it was. She had probably seen their, her king and their people win a, a few battles. And so she had seen what man could do, but she's in awe at what the Lord can do. See, none of her people's gods have ever been able to help them in that way. And because of that, their hearts, as they hear what the Lord is doing, they are melting. What an expression, right? That their hearts are melting in fear. Now, we don't have the actual moment recorded for us when all of this came together for Rahab, when when she had heard of God's reputation, but she has put her faith in the God of Israel, the one, the true God. Look at what she said again in verse 11. The Lord, Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above 
and on the earth below. She's saying there is no other God but this God. See, Rahab wasn't a believer. She wasn't an Israelite. In fact, she acted nothing like what God's people were supposed to act like. But yet she had heard the testimony of the one true living God, of his mighty power and of his unstoppable plan and purpose. And guess what? She wanted part of that. She wanted to know this God. How did she hear? How did she know? Well, it's because someone told her what God was doing. See, we hear a whole lot about what each other have done, right? We go around touting all the things that we've done, but what has our God done? Where, where from our lips is this praise for God of all the things that he is accomplishing? Why is he not the one getting the glory and the praise in our lives? See, for a non-believer, we're in a day and age where we can't just assume that a non-believer is going to stumble into church and hear the gospel. We're, we're way past that day and age, folks. We're in a time where us as the church have to go into the world to carry the message of the good news of Jesus to them. And this is why Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. He said, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless what? Someone tells them. Yes, friends, this is sometimes that 30-second gospel presentation that we're supposed to have in our pocket ready and willing to share what God has done. But more times than not, it is this. It is a simple testimony of God at work. You see, that simple testimony of God at work, it can be enough to open someone's heart and mind to desire more. I guarantee you, 100% that the lives changed this morning who said yes to Jesus and made a public profession, that simple testimony of God at work will serve far greater purpose than us just sitting on our hands. God wants to do something and he has been at work. Earlier in the story of redemptive history, what we find is that the people in this land, God said that there would be a time of preparation that the sins of these people are not yet complete and that four generations, 400 years would pass before God would bring about the conquest for his people to take the promised land again. Now I want you to hear me on this. God has been desiring for that people in that land to come to faith in him long before leading up to the conquest. He is a patient God a patient God. And for many and many and many years, God's prevenient grace has been at work. It's that grace that God extends before the moment of salvation, that he's offering this way of life that's better than what we find in this world and better than what we find in our sin. See, friends, his prevenient grace, it beckons sinners like you and I, like this world. It beckons sinners to come and experience the freedom and life that we find in God. And so God for 400 years has given this people an option because of his grace, this choice that they have to make that would either lead to new and eternal life or not. And friends, he does the same for us today. Beckons us by his grace to come and experience life. Now for many in this land, they did not choose life. They had heard the testimony of God. They had seen and they had experienced the grace of God in their lives already. And yet they denied and they rejected this grace of God. But was it everyone? It wasn't so with Rahab. 
See, she saw God's grace at work. She had heard of God's testimony. She had heard of his great name. Friends, God was famous. God was famous. Is our God famous today? If I was to go out and ask and someone hear a story of God, would they tell me, yeah, yeah, you're God. I heard about him before. Is our God famous today? See, she wanted part of that life because she had heard the testimony of who God was. She wanted the Lord Almighty to be the God of her life. God acted and Rahab responded. Now, was she a refined believer in, in, in all those senses? No, not at all. But was she a work in progress that God was going to shape and mold and use? You betcha. Absolutely, God was going to do that. See, Rahab was a foreigner and a heathen from the outside to these spies of Israel and to all of Israel. But yet Rahab's kindness spoke of her faith. She was willing to put everything on the line for the sake of this new life that she was being offered. And so the spies, in response to her kindness that day, they agreed that her and her family would be spared from the destruction that God was bringing to that pagan city of Jericho. And so they tell her, hey, make sure you tie this scarlet ribbon uh, and place it outside of your window of the, the wall so that we know that that is your house. And when the time comes, when that day comes, make sure that all of your family, all of your loved ones, whoever wishes to be saved would be in your house. Do not let them come out, but make sure that they are in your house and they will be saved. Now, I think that it would have been easy for the spies to have made this promise, right? Because they're going, hey, we're trying to get out of here alive. Uh, and so I think it would have been easy for them to make this promise and then head out to the wilderness for three days, as Rahab had told them, and then head back to camp and forget the fact that they had ever made this promise to Rahab. I mean, this was a pagan family, right? These weren't Israelites after all. But the thing is, is that they don't. They actually keep their promise to her. Why? And I think it's because for one of these rare moments, what we find in the Old Testament is that the people of God actually understood what God had been unfolding all along in redemptive history. That God was desiring that all people would come to know him. See, the covenant that God had made with their forefather Abraham pointed to this fact that through Abraham's line, that there would be a blessing to all the nations of earth, not just the Israelite people, but all the nations of earth. Not just God's chosen people, but all people would know and experience the blessing of a relationship with God, the God of the universe because of Jesus. And like I said, it would have been so normal, right, for us to be like, I'm just trying to save myself here, so I'll say whatever you want me to say so I can get out of here. But they actually uphold their end of the bargain, right? And every day we live in a life where we seem to make promises and yet break those promises because we come up with excuses. But friends, that is not the way of God's people. Our God is faithful far beyond what we are. And Paul tells us in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians, he calls us God's ambassadors. It doesn't mean that we only take the, the message of God to the world, the message of Christ to the world, but it's that our very lives are representatives, therefore, of this God. And so God, just as his name carries a testimony, a meeting, so do his people, those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. Our lives carry his name and his reputation to the world as well. And so, friends, our words and our actions, they mean something. They count for something because they carry his name. They count not just for us, but for him.
I mean, can you imagine? It's that seventh day that the Israelites are walking around the city. And you got Rahab and her family there in that room, in that house. And as the trumpets begin to blow, they wonder, are they going to hold to their promise? As the walls start crumbling down, are the people of God going to hold to their promise? And can you imagine had they not? Can you imagine the reputation that that would have brought God? And I, I can guarantee you that I doubt that there would be, be many non-believers who would be open to a conversation about giving their lives to the Lord had that happened. But because of God's people, because of their actions and their fulfilled promises, Rahab saw the God of the universe's love in action. See, not only had she experienced the prevenient grace of God that had been at work long before this moment, but when she placed her faith in God, that the justifying grace of God had come across her life. And now she was experiencing the saving grace of God's people holding to their promise and not to destroy her and her family. Friends, it wasn't just a spiritual, uh, so a, a spiritual saving that she had, but also this physical saving in this moment. And I think for all of us, we know what it's like when a promise is kept, but we also know that all too often feeling of a promise not kept. What kind of testimony are we leaving? Are we living lives that speak to those who represent the one, the true, the living, the mighty God of the universe? The one who has the power to save whom he wishes. The one who saves us, you and I in this world, all who would come from the pit of destruction and fear and sin. You see, how we treat unbelievers matters. How we treat unbelievers matters. The spies didn't sit there and then lecture Rahab on all the things that she had done wrong on her behavior or even condone her for the fact that she was a foreigner, that she was not ethnically Jew. No, they see God at work in her life and they respond to her with dignity and grace and respect, just as God himself would have. The same is true, not just of that moment that they're in her house and they're getting let down uh, from the window, but it's also that when that time comes that God has sent the, the destruction of that city is the truth that they also treat her with dignity and respect after the fact, after her conversion. See, the spies and the people, they don't cast her off now that they've taken the city. If you turn to Joshua chapter 6, 25, what you find is that her and her family become part of Israel. Look at this. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And a beautiful line here. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She may not have looked like it. She might even even been part of that family at the time. But they took her in because of the work that God had done. Friends, God cares about this world. He cares about what he has created. He cares that all would come to know him. He desires that all would be in a relationship with him. Are we open to what God wants to do in the lives of those that we don't think deserve it? Do we, are we open to what God wants to do in the lives of those who've accepted his grace? Who might not look like it yet but that God is at work in their lives. Because here's the thing, people like Rahab coming into our world, coming into our family, pursuing Jesus together makes us more and more and more into the bride of Christ that we are called to be as the church.
God's grace is greater than oftentimes we put constraints around it to be. And he wants to redeem all people. He's beckoning, he's calling them to come to him. Now, don't think that Rahab really knew the fullest extent of what God was going to do. And I find this true of my life as well. That even as I continue to follow Jesus, it just, y'all, he's taken and he's turning and redeeming greater than I ever could have imagined. And I just go, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm not left to myself, but thank you, God. Rahab knew that she wanted a relationship with him, and so she was going to trust him as she, she goes. And what she finds herself as she's caught up into this life with Israel, with God, Yahweh as her God, that this story that God is bringing about is not just redemption to offer for some, but offer to all who would be saved. See, we know that God redeems Rahab from being an unbeliever because whenever we get to the New Testament, you get to Matthew chapter 1. These are the words that we find. And just hang with me here because this is a genealogy, and I know that for some people this isn't as exciting. But just hang with me. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Well, we find in this family tree, the most important family tree in all of history, is that we find Rahab included, a foreigner, a non-Israelite, whom God redeemed. We find Ruth, a Moabite, who we talked about several weeks ago with the story of Naomi, a Moabite, a foreigner, who God has redeemed. Not just in the family of King David, but in the most important family tree that ever has been, and that is of King Jesus. King Jesus. Can you imagine what Rahab felt as she, as an unbeliever, not knowing that because of her faith, that God would bring about the lineage and the line of the Messiah, redeeming her far more than she ever could imagine and far better than she ever deserved. But that's God's grace, isn't it? That's God's grace. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, I do want you to hear this. I do want you to hear this, and it's this, is that one step of faith can change your life. For Rahab, this one step of faith didn't just change her life, it changed her family's life as well. I mean, can you imagine one step of faith, what it can do? God wants to take those things that are unredeemable, that look unredeemable to us, that we believe are unredeemable, and he wants to redeem them. He wants to take the things that look dead and are dead, and he wants to bring them to life. He wants to take your life, this step of faith that he's calling you to, and he wants to turn it for your good and his glory. See, our God, he wants to give us life. We celebrated that this morning, that he's taken dead people and brought them to life, spiritually dead and brought them to life, that now because of Jesus and his blood, they are free and alive. See, God went to extraordinary lengths for us to be able to experience this life by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, taking on human flesh and living a perfect life of obedience to God, showing us the, the face and the character of our father. He died a criminal's death, not that he deserved, but that we deserve. So that why? So that he could be buried, 
but not just buried, not just that sin done away with, but raised to new life by the power of God. And friends, you and I get to celebrate that fact that God doesn't just forgive us of our sins, but that he brings us to new life, resurrection life, greater than we could ever ask or imagine. He wants to do that in your life. One step of faith can change your life. What step is it that you need to take this morning? What is it that God's beckoning and he's calling you further into? And if you were born into a Christian family, that's great. But if you're not, maybe you know God before you came in this morning or maybe you did not. But this morning you have heard the testimony of God. And he's calling and he's beckoning you to come, to give your life to him, to follow him and understand his goodness and his grace for your life to take you and take you from just a person into a justified and redeemed person because of Jesus. Won't you come and experience the goodness of this life that you will ever experience in your entire life? This is a fantastic journey. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you have taken that step of faith before, but guess what? God is calling us further and deeper into a relationship with him. He wants more for our lives than we're settling with today. And so I want you to ask him by the Holy Spirit to help you be on a trajectory in your life that is all in upward, inward, and outward for what God wants to do in and through you for his great name. And that others, because of the way that you live your life in relationship with him, that they would be drawn to the Father through that. Friends, let's just share what God has done. Let's be people who tell of what God has done and what he is doing, how he is alive and active even today and how he's done it in us. Let's be those people. Let's show them the love of God by acting on his behalf in their life. And so friends, this morning he is moving and he is acting as only he can do. I don't know what it is that he's calling you to with that one step of faith this morning, but it is so important that as you feel the Holy Spirit this morning, that you answer that call. And so in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. And I want to invite you, respond, respond. You've seen responses this morning. It's time to respond. However it is, you can come down front. You can pray at these rails. You can call me or Jonathan ever. We'd love to pray for you, whatever it is that God is calling you to respond to today. You can pray in your seat. You can pray in your living room, wherever you might be. But you're here this morning because God wanted to speak to you. Now's the time to respond. So if you will stand, let's sing, let's pray together and then we're gonna sing. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that even thousands of years ago, God, you were at work and God, we get to hear and see the story of Rahab and of the awesome power of who you are and working about redemption in her life. Father, at some point we were all far from you because that's the way that we're born. But God, by your grace, you call us, you beckon us to come into a life with you. And so God, this morning, I ask that for all of us, Lord, that you would fall afresh on us, your spirit, that we would understand the length and the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ for us. Lord, help us to experience that this morning. Help us to respond this morning to your love and your grace and your mercy. We give this time to you, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.